This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. Parent-teenager relationships are often stressful and precarious, especially if the teen is acting out, lying, or engaging in other damaging behaviors. But these relationships, and particularly the conflict within them, offer opportunities for both the parent and the teen to grow. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with a clinical psychologist who has a new theory of teenagers. She now invites parents to look within themselves to mend strained relationships with their kids. She explains how oftentimes a parent's own past trauma can color their concerns. She also offers a lot of exercises for parents to develop a better understanding of their teens and themselves, and we're going to talk about a lot of those things throughout our discussion today. The bottom line is that parents have a greater impact on conflict with their teen than they realize. We have a tendency to think that it's the teen who needs to be changed rather than ourselves. Once we realize this, that we have the greater impact, that's kind of like metaphorically handing ourselves back the power to create harmony where there was once chaos. I'm Armin Brat. We'll start talking about this new theory of teenagers along with some transformational strategies we can use on ourselves to empower us and our teens when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this from the MrDad.com radio network. You must be your fairy godmother. Yes. It doesn't take a fairy godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything. Good heavens, child. You can't go in that. Children under four foot nine need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone. Many parents miss the important step of booster seats. Maybe you better explain things to him. Booster seats raise your child up so that a safety belt designed for adults will fit and protect them properly. Oh. That does make a difference. Remember that four foot nine is the magic number. And get your little pumpkin there safely <laughs> in a booster seat. Hop in, my dear. Oh, thank you. And like Cinderella, you can live happily ever after. It's like a dream. A wonderful dream come true. For more information, visit boosterseat.gov. This has been a message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Braun, and my guest for this part of today's show is Krista Santangelo, who is the author of A New Theory of Teenagers, Seven Transformational Strategies to Empower You and Your Teen. Krista, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about what the old theory of teenagers is first before we get to the new one. How So we need to figure out where we are starting from. Yes, it's a good question. I think the new theory in the book um, is really turning the lens away from the teen, not that we don't, of course, think about the teen and try to understand where the teen's coming from, but what I found over 25 years of practice was that the struggles were so intense and that just working with the teenager wasn't as successful as actually tapping deeply into the parent's psyches and the parent's minds and thoughts and really working from that angle. So the newness of the approach is really understanding 
parents' triggers and how they intersect with teenagers so that we can unwind those dilemmas. Does that mean that teens aren't flawed? That's another great question. (laughs) So teens, alas, are flawed, as we all are. And what I've found is that I like to work with the most motivated party. And in my many years, parents were so extremely motivated to untangle these dilemmas and get relief. And teenagers were less motivated. They were more motivated to have fun, be with their friends and live their lives, which is appropriate. So I always find working with the most power, the most motivated party, which were the parents, um, gives me the most power, gives us the most power to transform. So right. that's why I focus on the parents. And I also work with teenagers and they clearly can also benefit from taking a look at themselves, but that's not exactly the focus of this book. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm curious about how this all goes together because you, you, there are two things that pop to mind, two sort of cliches. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. So mm-hmm. you're going to clearly go with the person who's most motivated to change. At the same time, you can't force change on somebody who doesn't recognize that they need any change. Mm-hmm. And so the parent who is motivated to do something it's going to involve often not just completely changing your point of view, but uh, trying to do something that you're, to motivate a change of heart or a change of behavior in the child, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's a really good point. I think, you know, what I, what I found was that parents were so frustrated in not being able to change their teenagers, whether it was smoking pot, school problems, power struggles— And what we know about um, change, especially in the teen years, is that the leverage is really a different point, meaning we have to have a connection with our teenager in order to hope for any change. It's not like when they're five, we put them in a timeout. When they're 11, we take away their phone. As they mature, what we really rely on is the connection. So in changing one part of the relationship, which is the parent, that connection changes. And that connection is where the power is. And for example, if I'm looking at myself as a mom and I'm realizing that when you're lying to me about where you were, I'm having a very extreme reaction that's both rigid and exaggerated. If I can bring that down a notch, I can actually have a conversation that's rational with you to get somewhere versus just going into a power struggle. So does that answer the question? It does. It does. And, and I'm wondering, we'll have to get into this in more detail, but this is, you know, <laughs> it's becoming what sometimes I, I, I interview a lot of people and there's, whenever there's something to do with kids in my age, this always becomes a therapy session for me. So Perfect. I mean, I've got a 15 year old and, and she and I were just talking about some of the differences between her mother and, and me. We're, we're divorced and the family that I grew up in, we argue a lot. We talk a lot. People are yelling all the time. But at the end of the evening, everybody hugs and, and we're friends. In her mother's family, you don't argue. You don't talk. Her her grandparents, the, the mother's parents, are absolutely rigid. And there is no discussion. And there's no pushback. And there's none of that stuff. And so for my daughter to be going back and forth, and even when we were together in you know, to be dealing with me where I'm encouraging discussion and pushback up to a point. There's, you know, health and safety issues. We, we draw the line. But it, it, it's confusing for her sometimes. And she wants consistency. She wants, she wants to know where she stands all the time. And it's, it's different. Mm-hmm. But, so, but, but there, there's, there's the issue, I think, is that I think I'm a little bit more aware 
of the differences than her mother is. Her mother, I think, is is perhaps stuck a little bit more on automatic and may not be in in the way that you just were suggesting, being able to look and say, oh, I'm doing, I'm going through this or I'm thinking that. It's just boom. Well, you know, the Dalai Lama said something interesting. He said that the, those who drive us the craziest are our best teachers. And I think what you're talking about um, is really what I see in my practice, which is Sometimes parents don't agree. Most of the time, even if you're married, you have different parenting styles. So the idea of looking at your own triggers and your own approach to parenting can sort of sort that out a bit because, you know, our teenagers don't expect us to be perfectly consistent. I don't know many parents who are, but if at least we can be, like you said, aware and honest about this is how I parent, this is what I'm feeling, um, this is how I'm contributing to this relationship, I think that the teenage problem can lessen. That's what I've found. And that sort of struggle diminishes with that awareness of the parent. All right. You just used an interesting phrase, the teenage problem. What is that? Is there one problem that, that parents are coming to you more often than, than not with? Yeah. So just like there are so many different individuals, teenagers or individuals, there are many different problems. I would say, um, you know, power struggles would be a classic you know, classic struggle that I see, um, issues around, you know, listening to the parent, trust, I call it the trust-mistrust cycle. So the teenager's trying to forge a little bit of freedom. We know that 99% of teenagers lie. What does that mean? It's not, is it good? Is it bad? It, I, you know, I always say I like reality because it always wins. It is what it is. It's not that we try to encourage lying or we don't teach our kids to be honest, but in accepting that and not overreacting, we can then again forge the alliance and help them not to lie. So things like that. So, you know, a, a teenager wants a little more freedom. They lie. The parent has a huge reaction to that. Then the teenager feels like they have to lie even more and on and on it goes. Clearly things like, you know, substance use and um, children, teenagers not doing their best. And then, of course, there are a lot of teenagers who do have frank, you know, traumas and and, and larger sure. issues um, that aren't completely addressed by the parents' change. However, I've noticed that even in the most severe problems, when the parent is able to change his or her view of the child and his or her internal world, meaning his emotions, his projections, his triggers, then at least we can then clear the smoke, so to speak, and really get to the problem. It's not then kind of clouded in the parents' issues. So Yeah. Does it make a difference the reason for the lying. I mean, a lie is not always just a lie. I mean, yeah. there, there could be the motivation to deceive or the motivation to get something or mm -hmm. push a boundary. I mean, there, there's going to be certain kinds of lying that are more tolerable, I would imagine. Yes, that's true. I think that, again, um, I always like to say, you know, I have my A baskets and my B baskets when I talk to parents with teenagers. You know, A baskets are with all behaviors, things that are will endanger their lives or endanger the lives of others, things that really create a rift in our relationship, things that are just, you know, going to be a problem for their life. So lies that are in the A basket clearly have a different response, whether it's a consequence or, you know, a serious conversation. But then there's the B basket, which is I'm lying because I need a little more freedom. I'm lying because if I tell you the truth, you're going to get mad at me and I'm not going to be able to do what I want. And it was just one restaurant versus my friend's house, you know. So again, you know, if you're someone for whom lying has a very rigid and extreme response, 
you're going to jump into that interaction in a different way and actually cause the, the teenager to go down a different path than if you're able to look at it and say, oh, I'm being deceived. This doesn't feel good. Hmm. How can I calm down and then engage with my teenager around the importance of telling the truth, around, you know, morality? But um, again, reactivity is is not usually a good formula for good communication and keeping the connection. And we know that the connection is the main thing that we want to maintain and keep because that is um, has the best prognosis for success for the teenager. It also is enjoyable to stay connected to your teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's also the best way to have any influence over, over them. Talking with Krista Santangelo, who is the author of A New Theory of Teenagers, Seven Transformational Strategies to Empower You and Your Teen. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Krista. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called Hands Only CPR and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ, good luck. Here we go. <laughs> the champ's not wasting any time. <laughs> oh. It's over. This fight is over. Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Krista Santangelo, who is the author of A New Theory of Teenagers, Seven Transformational Strategies to Empower You and Your Teen. We were just talking about lying, and that is certainly a, an issue that you said 99% of teenagers lie. That's such a, a black and white statistic. It's nice to hear something like that because I'm sure everybody has sa- said that. Of course, you hear all these these studies about how people are lying every 15 seconds or something like that. I don't know what it is, but adults are, are spending an awful lot of time lying too, right? You know, I don't have the statistic on adults, but just but being lot. one and knowing them, I'd imagine that it's pretty high too. Yeah. Yeah. So what what are we sending to them? Because they're obviously, as we've known with our own kids from the time they're about eight months old, they're paying very close attention to whatever it is that we're doing. Yeah. And if you think that you're lying and getting away with it, you're not. Yeah. 
Yeah, and another interesting statistic, it's something like, you know, 10% of what we transmit human to human is verbal and the rest right. is nonverbal, right. right? So, yeah, so I think, again, this goes to my main point, which is how we feel about ourselves, how we act, and what is motivating us is going to be picked up by our teenager and by our children. And so in addition to helping our teenagers get help if they need it, which often they do, how do I really go deep and look at my own motivations, my own fears, my own buried wounds, so that I can unlock those and perhaps shed some light on what's going on between the two of us? Because our, our teenagers often mirror you know, our own pain and have to act right. it out if it remains unconscious in us. And I've seen that time and again in my practice. Well, and we are also mirroring the pain that we have left over from our own childhoods, right? Mm -hmm. Do we really need to go into deep analysis to be able to, to be effective parents? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I think, I wouldn't say we have to go into deep analysis, but what I would say is that if we find ourselves in intense power struggles, if we find that our teens have problems to which we are having strong reactions, or even if our teens are having problems to which we're not having strong reactions, it makes sense to look at ourselves. Sometimes it's just, it doesn't have to be a deep dive. Sometimes it's just, oh, I'm a person who, you know, has problems with chaos. Teenagers can tend to be, have chaos in their lives hormonally, also just behaviorally. You know, one moment they're thinking of going to the ball game, the next minute they're going to go hang out with their friends. So to parents who have challenges around tolerating ambiguity and chaos will have challenges with this developmental stage. So do they have to go into deep analysis? No. But if they want to be stressed out all the time that their kid's changing their mind or that their kid's saying one thing and doing another, um, you know, that's, that's what will happen. So it's sort of about how do I notice my reaction and is it really commensurate with the behavior of the teenager or is there something left over yeah. and it might help to take a look well how do you do that how do you begin to as an amateur who's not in analysis mm -hmm. begin to assess here's a, an area of conflict we keep having the same argument mm -hmm. it's not about re what it's really about mm -hmm. or it's really about what it's not yeah. about you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh, how, do, how do you begin to analyze yourself mm -hmm. and then figure out what to do about that. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so most parents who are having reactions to their teens, they're reactions that they're also having with colleagues, you know, husbands, wives, and friends. So our teenagers and our children, because we have obviously such a deep emotional investment, just bring these up to the surface more quickly and more intensely. So uh, oftentimes that when we have a feeling about something in reaction to our teen, it's something that has been a whisper for a while, or it's something that we've enge you know encountered, and sometimes it's completely new. So what do we do? So first, it's just be aware of it. So for example, you know, I'll give an example that doesn't have to do with teenagers. You know, road rage, right? So some people, uh, someone cuts you off, you might have a reaction in the car, you might get upset, you might curse. Other people jump out of the car and start to sort of you know <laughs> engage with the other person in a very intense, emotional, aggressive way. So again looking at your own reactions. Are they super intense? Are they super rigid? What are you resisting? I often ask the parents in my practice to just in the morning wake up, what am I resisting? What is happening in my life or with my teenager that's pushing up against something and I'm feeling like this cannot 
happen. This teenager, if this teenager says this thing one more time or does this thing one more time, this is just, I'm going to be pushed over my edge. These types of feelings often, again, sometimes it's that the, that the teenager needs to change and not do the behavior. That's absolutely true. But sometimes it's because we have an opportunity to expand and to grow and to find more joy inside of ourselves. So where does this, the process begin, though? I mean, it still requires almost a professional touch to be able to have that that distance. I believe in the professional touch as a professional. Um, I believe, you know, I am a therapist, so I'm biased, but I do believe a good therapy can be very helpful to parents. I believe any process that invites reflection, relaxation, um, there's something that Dan Siegel talks about, which is a wonderful practice called, you know, reflective capacity, which is how do I, when someone says something, bring my own best self to the, to the reaction? How do I keep what the other person is saying in mind? And how do I respond rather than react? So again, just even knowing that there's a difference between reacting and responding, just even thinking about that idea can help us to expand this capacity. Um, so again, anything that helps you relax, anything that helps you reflect, meditation I talk about in my book is a wonderful tool, um, visualizations, you know, kind of just going through our, your own inventory about your own triggers. If you're a parent, you've probably gotten upset at your kids, maybe once or twice, I don't know. I know I have with my daughter. And what happened there? What was it that pushed you over the edge? So, you know, we can do a lot of work on our own, and it usually helps to have a trusted and, you know, kind of wise guide, what, yeah. whoever that is. You know, there's a, a colleague of mine, you may know, Ross Park, who uh, he and I wrote a book. He was my, my inspiration for a lot of the work that I've done with fatherhood, and, and was asking him at one point about what makes it an expert and he said something about along the lines of, it's about three seconds. He was talking about the difference between reacting and responding is just to be able to have a little bit of space to think about what you're doing instead of just the knee-jerk response. What do you think about that? I think it's exactly right. And what I often say to parents is that all of this is very simple, but it's not easy because um, there's a wonderful book, um, A General Theory of Love, by some of my colleagues at UCSF, and they, they talk about how our emotions are embedded in the limbic system, which is different than the sort of cognitive system, right? A lot of talk about the old brain, the reptilian brain. We often want to solve problems in this kind of cognitive, intellectualized way. Like you said, it's a great idea. Let's pause for three seconds. However, it may take a lot of work to be able to get to that pause. And so I just invite parents to, you know, do the work they need to do. Some parents don't need to do it, but, um, you know, there are definitely some easy, um, you know, practices, and I, I do have those in my book. And well, at the tell same us time, about one of them. Yeah. So, um, well, one of the practices is, you know, uh, some kind of mindfulness or meditation. Most people have heard about the benefits of that. And, and I think in parenting, the benefits are monumental. So whether it's, you know, mindful walking, mindful breathing, um, you know, any kind of mindfulness practice, you know, and I have a few specified in the book, but you can choose any one that, that feels right to you, whether it's, you know, noticing the breath, whether it's, focusing on different parts of the body. The idea is just to 
have a moment to see your own thoughts and to understand that we, you know, many people think that we are not our thoughts and it helps to have a practice that, um, that can identify that. I also have some guided visualizations in the book. Um, I use uh, subtle energy healing like chakras and colors. You know, there's um, advice in the book about how different energy um, systems in our body function and react to our teenagers. So again, noticing, you know, my teen flipped me the bird going out of the driveway in my car. (laughs) I didn't feel peaceful about that. And where, where exactly in my body did I feel that? Was it in my throat? Was it in my chest? So again, turning inward and trying to heal ourselves in this journey. Krista Sant'Angelo is the author of A New Theory of Teenagers, Seven Transformational Strategies to Empower You and Your Teen. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future. I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash. As an alternative to recycling? Yeah, an alternative. So we, like, don't have to do it. Recycling. There are lots of planets. Finding one is just a matter of time. Many people say that recycling is pretty simple and convenient. A matter of keeping select items out of the trash. A lot simpler than finding a new planet, Tommy. Come on, there's a bunch of planets out there. Would you recycle on this new planet, Tommy? Or just use it up and throw it away, too. I, I really don't have a clue. Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting. Don't be that guy. Unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brant, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad... My wife and I just found out she's pregnant. I thought the pregnancy was going to bring us together, but we've been arguing a lot lately. Is this normal? Either way, what can we do to get back on track? Pregnancy is a time of great joy and anticipation and of great stress. And even though you and your partner are both expecting at the same time, you're not experiencing the pregnancy the same way or at the same pace. This can lead to a lot of misunderstandings and conflicts. As the pregnancy continues, then, it's critical to learn to talk and to listen to each other and to find ways to help each other through this marvelous but emotionally bumpy experience. As men, we instinctively want to protect our partners from harm. And when they're pregnant, protecting them may include trying to minimize the levels of stress in their lives. One way men do this is by not talking about their own concerns. Sometimes it's because we worry that mentioning our own fears may cause our partners stress. Other times, it's because we don't want to expose how vulnerable we are at a time when we're supposed to be strong and supportive. There are two big problems with this kind of thinking. First, by not giving yourself a chance to talk about your concerns, you'll never learn that what you're going through is normal and healthy. Second, your partner will never get the chance to find out that you understand and share her feelings. On the other hand, Men who talk about their feelings and get their partner's emotional support during pregnancy have better physical and emotional health and are better able to maintain good relationships with their partner than men who don't get that kind of support. So talk with your partner about everything, your excitement, your dreams, and even your fears, worries, and ambivalence. And don't forget to ask your partner what she's feeling about the same things. Have these discussions regularly. 
What you and your partner are thinking and feeling now may be completely different from what you'll be thinking and feeling in two or three or six months. Here are some conversation starters to think about. Your involvement in the pregnancy. Are you going to stay on the sidelines and be a bystander? Are you emotionally involved in the pregnancy and do you see yourself as a full partner? Are you going to micromanage the whole thing, planning every medical appointment, every meal, and every trip to the gym? Whatever you decide to do, make sure to talk it over with your partner. After all, she's pregnant too. Your involvement in family tasks. How much childcare are you planning to do when the baby comes? How much is your partner expecting you to do? How much are you expecting her to do? Religion. Both you and your partner may never have given a thought to the religious education, if any, you plan to give your child. If you have thought about it, make sure you're both still thinking along the same lines. Discipline styles. How do you feel about spanking your children? Never? Sometimes? And how does she feel about it? How you were raised and whether your parents spanked you will have a great deal to do with how you raise your own children. Work and childcare expectations. Is your partner planning to take some time off after the birth before going back to work? How long? Would you like to be able to take some time off? What types of childcare arrangements do you and she envision? Finally, finances. Do you need two paychecks to pay the mortgage? If you can get by on one, whose will it be? Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.